Let me just kind of remind you, I, I shared with you that when, when Paul wrote the book of Romans, it's probably his most organized of all his letters. And because what he began at the first, and we're still in the middle of this very first section, where he, where he speaks about man's need of salvation. And so he addresses why we need a Savior, why we needed a Christmas morning, why we needed an Easter Sunday. And he's speaking about that during, during this section. And then he moves, and we'll start in, in chapter 3, about verse 21, and he'll, we'll be moving to verse 20, where, where God's provision of salvation, how God provided that salvation that man needs. And then we'll, we'll move in, in Romans 12, and what are we to do with that? How are we to live because of his great salvation? And so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's just a great treaty, and probably the greatest that's ever been written, on just the, 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 the God's power and the salvation. That's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God and the salvation. Boy, this morning in our men's prayer, there was a gentleman that came. He's, 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 he's joined Robert and them in their, prayer, in their prayer ministry now. His name's Chance Johnson. And Chance wanted to pray at the, at the end of our prayer meeting. And if you were there, you were stirred. I mean, he, he just wept through his prayer because he recognized that God saved such a mighty sinner as me. And he continued to say, God, I don't know why. I don't understand why you would save a guy that lived the life that I lived. But folks, that's the great Savior we've, we've served. Chance came from a very, very tough background. And, um, and, and you know, admittedly had, had really lived against the Lord. But God saved him. And folks, it doesn't matter what background you came from, we're all sinners, we're all in need of a Savior. And so, so we're going we're gonna to read verses, um, chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. Some of these we covered last week, but then that will give us a context to where we are. Let's all stand together as we read Romans. Now I remind you that, that two weeks ago when we studied this, that in this first section of Man's Need of Salvation, he addressed people that probably Chance would describe himself as as someone that didn't want to have anything to do with God. Someone that, that just rebelled against God and not only loved sin, but they, 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 they laughed at, at God and, and they, even, they even loved the, the watching and applauding the sin of others. And we've all, some of us have been in that, that group and some of us have seen that and and um, it's just people that just kind of shake their fist at God. And it's like God says, okay, you want to live like that, I'm just going to turn you over to yourself. But what we're moving to now that, that, that we all realize, and we all agree, boy, that person really needs to be saved. But there's another group of people that the Apostle Paul is speaking to in this group. You know, there are people that they even pride themselves on living pretty good lives. As a matter of fact, they live lives that, as I've been told by some, hey, I'm better than most of those church members down there. And you know what's sad? I had to agree with them. <laughs> you know, from a standpoint of pure life, you're, you, you, he said, I've never lied, cheated, or steal a soul. I never do any people wrong. But, but they, 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 they bank themselves on their own goodness. And that's called the moralist. They, they think, hey, I'm, a, I'm a pretty moral person. But Paul addresses that, that in this passage. And let's just read, therefore, in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. 
But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, that you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance to your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each according to his own deeds. Eternal life to those who patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. Tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. For as many as sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and as many as sinned in the law will be judged according to the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things contained in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or excusing them. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men. Wow, that's just that's scary, isn't it? And he will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Let's pray. Now God, I pray that you'd take these words and you'd bless them. And God, that, that, that they would apply, that they would be settled upon each of our hearts, dear Father, and doing the work that you need to do. Oh, Father, I just pray that, God, that we could see you for who you are as well as that we could see ourselves for who we are. And God, again, we want to thank you for such a great Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name I pray. Amen. Again, this particular section, as we began even last week looking at it, is dealing with people that, that live pretty good lives. As a matter of fact, they, th- that is what makes them who they are, that they attempt to live such a, a moral life that they can look at others and say, hey, I'm better than you, or I'm just as moral as the person that goes down to church. As a matter of fact, the way that they gauge their own goodness is by they comparing it by the goodness of others. And so therefore, when they see someone do wrong, it's very easy for them to, to call out judgment on that person that, hey, I would never do that within my life. But let me explain to you, dear friend, what Paul was trying to say within this passage, that hell is filled with good people. It's, it's filled with people that's very moral and, as a matter of fact, have lived their lives even some, by some other. Because it would be very easy for the, this person that I'm speaking about to look at that person that had been caught up in drugs or selling drugs or caught up in prostitution or immorality. To look at that person and says, God has to allow me into his heaven as compared to that person. But Paul says, no, hey, fella, we're all on even ground. We're all in need of a Savior. 
And so what he's doing is progressively working through this passage of man's need of salvation that's sure that those who, who shake their fist at God and going to live their own lives and, and, and fill up their, their lives living for the flesh, sure they're in need of a Savior. But what he's saying here also that even those who live their lives in a moral way that compare themselves to others, that you're in need of a Savior also. And that's what we looked at last week as we, as I'll just touch and review really quick that that what he starts out here he says you know what those who judge others are without excuse for themselves because he says the same way that you're judging others you're doing the same way and then he also said that that God's judgment is based that God's judgment is based on God's standards and not man's standards that when we stand before a holy God, it will not be based upon what I think or you think or how good I am against how good you are. But it's going to be standing against the truth. You find that in verse 2. As a matter of fact, we're going to be looking at that a whole lot in this particular passage. And what happens is we, we become so moral or we think that we're so good, we build up a, a self-righteous heart. And that self-righteous heart will lead to a callousness or to a hardness. And also an unrepentant heart because we don't think we need a Savior because I'm good within myself. And folks, there's a lot of people that find themselves in that position. A lot of people that you'll talk to, when you talk to them about their salvation, they'll tell you very, very quick, I'm, I'm good or better than all those other people. But Paul says, you know what, that doesn't matter. He says, first of all, that what's the danger of that is, is a person with that type of a hard and calloused heart is a person that, that thinks that they will not even have to face judgment. That's what he says in verse 3. Or do you think this old man, you who judge those, judge those who's practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? They, they think that they won't even have to face the judgment of God. They're, they're so deceived. And also... They are so full of themselves and they're so full of their own goodness of look what I have done, they fail to recognize the goodness of God. They can't because the Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And again, when I heard Chance pray this morning, he could not thank God enough for how good God's been to him. And how many times have we heard Joe Anderson stand up and say, Thank God for how good he's been to me. Or so many people because, Lord, you know, because he took me in my lostness and he made me a saved. But, but a person that, that is so caught up with their own goodness, they're blinded to the goodness of God. And it's the very goodness of God that will lead them to repentance. But we're going to be getting today and, 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 and walking on th down this because we want to deal with that, that next subject that a heart that is that has callous because of their own goodness and, and, because, and, and they've developed an unrepentant spirit, that, that is a heart that is blinded by the very basic principles of God's righteous judgment. And that's what we want to focus on today. Some very basic principles of God's righteous judgment. I want to look again at verses 5 and then move down to 6 as we start this today and and, and I just pray that, that you would think, God, what are you saying to me? Remember, you don't need to look and think about someone else. Let God speak to you today. Because he said all these things about that person that, that lives in that, that, 
that world of self-righteousness and, and I'm better than someone else. He says, but in accordance to your hardness and your unrepentant heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. He says, you are destroying yourself. You're setting yourself up for wrath because you're pushing yourself away from listening to the very holy and righteous God. And then he says, speaking of God, he says, who will render to each one or to everyone according to his deeds. There's two important things within that verse 6 that we need to understand. It's a very basic principle of God. And the first one is that every man, every man, every boy, every girl, everyone will face the judgment of God. We will none be left out. It does not matter how good you are. It does not matter how you comparative you are to other people. It doesn't matter whether you're a pastor. Every pastor will face the judgment of God. Every deacon will face the judgment of God. Every Sunday school teacher will face the judgment of God. Everyone that gives to good causes will face the judgment of God. Just like the person that has shaken their fist at God, everyone will face the judgment of God. I think that sometimes we get confused when we think about last things. We've heard so many charts and seen so many things of speaking about the great white throne judgment and the judgment seat of Christ, and we try to categorize all those things. Let me just tell you one thing. Some of those things that we read in the past, we're just trying to interpret it the best that we can. They're kind of hard to understand. One thing that's very clear to understand, we're all going to face the judgment of God. Because he's a just God. And a just God has to deal with all sin. Again, that includes me. It includes Brother Eddie. <laughs> Sister Alda, you're going to face the judgment of God one day. Now you may think, how can a sweet little lady like that face the judgment of God? <laughs> Everyone, according to his own deeds, will stand before a righteous God. Paul speaks of Jesus Christ as a righteous judge in 2 Timothy, the 6th chapter. And so therefore, that should make us all stand and think about ourselves. Yeah, I've thought about that a lot. How's that going to happen? There's up from 6 billion, probably 7 billion people on earth that, um, right now. And if you add all the people that's ever lived together, how many, how many, I don't know how many people that is. That's billions upon billions of people that's lived. And the Bible says every single person, because the Bible says he's come to judge the living and the dead. So every person that's ever lived, lived all the way from Adam are going to be judged by God in that final day. How's that happen? But folks, he's going to fight, but it says he's going to judge us according to our deeds. And so that means he's going to judge us individually. And so every one of us are going to be standing in line. Even that moralist that thinks I'm better than that person, that person, that person. Guess what? He's going to be standing in the same judgment line all those people he's judged is going to be in. But folks, you have to understand, first of all, God, eternity. There's no time in eternity. God's not going to be looking at his watch in eternity. And so God have all the time in the world to judge each person individually. Hmm. Now think about this too. Can you imagine if you're halfway down that line 
It gives you a lot of time to think. And you're thinking, you think he's going to bring that up? Because he says he's going to bring up all the secrets. You know, there's something in my life that only me know, I know about, or maybe a, a small few. And I'm going to have to be standing thinking, I wonder if he's going to bring that up. As a matter of fact, did you know the Bible says he's even going to judge our secret thoughts? God, you can't bring that up, can you? But folks, he is just letting us know. And, and again, you've got to put this in the context of what he's talking about. He's speaking about man's need of salvation. He's letting people know, even the moral man, that all of us are going to be standing in the judgment of God. And everything's going to be laid bare because the next verse is the same thing. The way that he's going to judge us, every man will judge by his deeds or his works, by the things that we do. Anytime you find judgment in Scripture, it's based upon man's deeds or what they do. You may see, time out, pastor. Time out. What did Paul say? Didn't Paul you know, say that the just shall live by faith? And didn't Paul, um, if we'd continue on in, in, in a few verses, we would read in Romans 3.28, therefore we conclude that man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. And what about, Pastor, that great, great passage, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Paul is not negating those passages on grace. First of all, let me explain three things about this passage. Context is important. First of all, Paul is addressing primarily those who are lost because he's letting everyone realize that all are in need of a Savior. Second of all, he's, he's also addressing those who judge others. The moralist, somebody that thinks I'm better than someone else. And this is the important thing that you need to understand. Salvation is always by, gra- uh, is, is by, by faith through grace, always. Salvation is always based upon God's grace. Judgment is always based upon our deeds. So don't get, don't get that separated. And, and we'll bring that together in just a moment. Salvation is always based that, that through God's, <coughs> that we're, we're, we're saved through faith by God's grace. But anytime that God judges us, it will be according to our deeds. You see, a lot of people, a lot of people uses God's grace as a license to continue to sin. But God says, I'm going to address every secret thought one day. Hmm. All of us. Everyone will be judged according to our deeds. As a matter of fact, this is pretty consistent in Scripture. Because one thing that Scripture teaches us, if you follow on in Ephesians, the second chapter, verses 8 through 10, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Because if you stop there, you won't get the rest of it. We've all been created, and we're his workmanship created into good works. Because what the Bible teaches us, if you are truly born again, if you have truly been been saved by grace through your faith, 
then your life will produce good works. Your life will produce works or deeds that will uplift God. Not for your goodness, but because of God's goodness. Because a person who is truly saved will say this, any good work that I've ever been done has to be given for the glory of God because within me there's nothing good. And so there, there is no conflict here that, that when God judges us, He's going to judge us according to our deeds, and that re- should reflect our faith. James talks about this very, very clearly. You may want to speak over, you may, you may want to, to look over in James the, <coughs> the, the first and second chapter and, and follow with me and just flip over to the end of your Bible. And I want to read to you a few ver- verses out of verse 1, then I'm going to jump over to, or in, in chapter 1, then I'm going to jump over to, to chapter 2. Because we have already read in Romans, in verse 13 of that very passage that we just read, we'll get to in just a minute, he says, For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers will be justified. And and listen to what James says in in James, the first chapter. I want to start at verse 19 and then read down to verse 22. Therefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. And listen to what he says in verse 22. For be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And then he explains that much more in in chapter 2, if you'd look down at verse 14. And he says these words about our faith. There's a lot of people that say they have faith, but they they don't have any proof within their life. Because James says these words, and he's, he's dealing with that. There's a lot of people who, who claim salvation just because of a prayer that they said, or because they say, I believe in, I believe in God. But James addresses that situation. He says, for what is it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? And he says, can faith save him? And as a matter of fact, there's a, there's a definite article within the original text that says, can that faith or that kind of faith save him? The faith that just has no works. And then he says, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says, depart in peace, be warned to be filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, does that profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And listen to what he says in verse 19. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Man, he is just, you know, these passages are just hammering. But you better be careful. You better be careful upon what you base your salvation on. If you are, are, are basing your salvation upon your goodness, you're on some shaky ground, my friend. If you're basing your salvation just because you claim you have faith, James disses that by saying even the devils believe. That, that God would want, is one guy, he's going to, he, you're going to stand before a righteous God. Revelation describes Jesus Christ with flaming eyes, which means he's going to look right into your soul There's not going to be any excuses, and he's going to know who you are. And so every one of our deeds 
will be judged. Hmm. This makes me feel a little uncomfortable. But you also have to understand, as he's addressing this, he also wants you to remind you that, that God is very impartial in his judgment. Because when he is speaking about those deeds that would be, be judged, he says these words. He says, who rendered each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who patient and continuance in doing good seek for glory and honor and power. And I think there's, there's powerful there because, because anybody can do good for a little while, but do you continue to seek for it? Do you, do, do you continually seek the things of God? And he says, but to those who are self-seeking, do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, arrive, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also for the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He, he, he says two things, to the Jew first and also to the Greek twice. And what he's trying to say, that when God's judgment, he's going to be very impartial. Doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Greek, doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman, doesn't matter whether you're a churchgoer or a non churchgoer, doesn't matter whether you're a good doer or a, uh, uh, or a one that shakes your fist at God, we're all going to be on level ground. That's one thing that's neat about the cross the, the, the ground's level at the cross. God's very impartial, which should be a blessing. Again, God's not going to look at me any different than he, than, than, than he looked at Chance before Chance got saved. Or, or Brother Jack, when he was in the middle of his alcoholism, God's going to be very impartial. He's going, to, he's going to look at us the very same once we first come to him. Because, again, anything that I've ever done that, that's been good is, is, is not based upon my own goodness. It's, it has to be based upon God's goodness. So we're all going to be standing at that that level cross there and before the, the judgment of God in a very, very impartial way. But I think this is the text of, of, of what he's getting at. And I think that sometimes we all forget by what, how will he judge us? We've already saw in verse 2 that God judges by his standards and not man's standards, that we are judged on truth. And he begins to address this, and it almost seems like a, an Old Testament passage that he's addressing it. Because, folks, again, he is speaking now about why does man need salvation? Why do you need salvation? Why do I need salvation? Because, folks, we're all going to be judged according to the truth, and God's truth is his law. Jesus Christ, and you have to understand, Jesus Christ said that he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. And let's just continue to read on what he says, that God's judgment is, is based upon his obedience to his righteous standard, and that righteous standard is his law. Because if we continue on and read verse 12 through 16, when he says, well, in verse 11, there's no partiality with God, for as many who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And as many who have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. 
For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Well, you think, well, how, how is it fair for God to judge a person that's never even heard the law? Look what he says in verse 14. In verse 14, he says, For when Gentiles who do not have the law, they've, they've never heard the law spoken to them, it says, By nature do the things contained in the law. These also having the law are law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness. Did you know that every man that when he's born, that God places within that man a conscience? And that, that conscience is, is, is kind of like a compass of, of, of telling him what's right and what's wrong. And so he says, even the person that's never heard the law with their ears or read the law with their ears, that God has placed a moral compass within inside of them that's, and, and it was called our conscience. And when they disobey that conscience, that's law to them. So there's no excuse even for the person that's never heard the law. But you think about the person that's heard the law and disobeyed. Wow. So what he's saying that we're all going to be judged according to God's law. Those who have never even heard it because God has, has, has placed a conscience within their life and when they disobey that conscience, they're disobeying God. But, but for those like, like you that have, have lived, grew up in church that's heard the law and then you choose to disobey it, then boy, neither are without excuse. I know what's going on in your mind. It should be when you think, well, how can we not be saved? He says, for when the Gentiles do not have the law by nature to do the things contained in the law, these, are not, these though not having the law are law to themselves who show the work of law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Folks, God's law continues to be the holy standard by which men are judged. Again, Jesus did not come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill the law. And as a matter of fact, as we, we study through Matthew, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, Pastor Nathaniel so beautifully taught through that matter of fact, when Jesus came to fulfill the law, he began to reveal to us that it's even harder to keep than what we thought. As a matter of fact, the, the whole Sermon on the Mount is based upon the fact that except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you can no way enter into the kingdom of heaven. You think, well, that's the most righteous man. Those, those are the greatest keepers of the law in, 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 in the whole country. But that's what Jesus is saying. That's right. You've got to be even more righteous than that. You know what Jesus is saying? You can't be righteous enough for God because for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so what he's saying here, remember the context, he's, he's preaching, he's teaching right now to that person who thinks they're good. As a matter of fact, they think they're so good, they think they're better than other people, and they think that they're so good that God's going to have to allow them into my heaven, his heaven. And I've heard that, folks. I've heard people tell me before, you know, that, 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 that I've always been good, and I just believe that God has to allow me into his heaven. What Paul is establishing in this, no, you are measuring yourself by men. God's going to measure you by his truth, which is the law. It, whether Gentiles that's never heard the law, God's given them a conscience, or you that read the law, 
you're not you're you, you're going to be judged by God's standards. Every deed, every secret thing in your life is going to be judged by God. And so what Paul is trying to do is get even the moral man to say, well, then how can I be saved? And that's the question of the hour. See, because we're all be judged by God's law, every one of us. And none of us are without excuse because God's given you a conscience. God's revealed himself to you through creation, through the conscience within your heart, through his law. And so what Paul is again addressing, why did, who, first of all, who needs to be saved? He says everybody. It doesn't matter whether you're a heathen that shakes your fist at God, or it doesn't matter whether you're a good man that compare yourself against other people. And next time we study, we're going to be speaking about another man called the religious man. But what Paul is saying, all of you are in need of salvation. So the question is, how am I going to stand in the judgment of God? If you stand by yourself according to your own goodness, then what it says is even right now you're storing up wrath and condemnation to yourself. Because your heart is so hard, all you think about is yourself. But, but Paul gives us a clue in that very next verse. In the very last verse of this section when he says, In the day will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. He begins to already sneak in something, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ, so first of all, he's saying, according to the good news. Everything that we've talked about up to this point is bad news. It doesn't matter how good you may think you are. When you read this, it's bad news that, that Paul has just knocked, knocked your feet out from under you. He's saying, you can't be good enough for God. And don't think you can compare yourself to man because you're going to be standing in the same judgment line that man is. And God's going to be even judging your secrets, those hidden things down in your heart. And he says, so you're without excuse. But the good news is this. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, who was born of a virgin, he was not born from the seed of sinful man. He was born from the seed of God himself, the righteous seed. He broke the line of the sinful Adam, and he was now the new Adam from the righteous God. Not only was he born with the righteous seed of God from the Virgin Mary, but he lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He never sinned. And he did what you and me can't do ourselves. He lived a righteous life. And for that reason, because of his own righteousness, all that judgment that was to come against you and me because of our wicked deeds, he said, I'll take your place for the punishment. I'll take your wrath upon I take God's wrath that's intended for you upon my righteous life. And that the great and the great exchange is this. He says, I'll trade my righteousness to you, and I'll take your unrighteousness upon me, and I'll die for you. 
man, that's the good news in Jesus Christ. That's the good news in Jesus Christ. That's why we celebrate Christmas. That's why Christmas is such a big deal. That's why the virgin birth is such a big deal because that is when God began that good news of, of his son being born of his righteous seed into a virgin. But that child, that baby that, that we, we recognize was born, was born for one purpose, was to die for the sin of man. Wow. And so today, as we, we close this out, I pray that you recognize this and you start examining yourself. You're going to be judged one day. Every one of us are going to be judged one day. doesn't matter how good you are. doesn't matter how many times you've been to church. and doesn't matter even how bad you've been. We, God will judge us impartially. He's judging us according to his law, to his truth. And if we are all honest, we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. There's not a person in this place that has never lied. There's never, not a person in this place that's never, never disobeyed their parents or dishonored their parents. There's no, no person in this, this place that has not blasphemed the name of God by just the way that we lived. There's not a person in this place that's never coveted something within our heart. We've all sinned. And see, again, we're not judged by other men. We're judged by the righteous law of God. And so, therefore, we're all condemned in need of a Savior. His name's Jesus, folks. He came to pay your judgment or to accept God's judgment upon himself, upon himself for on our behalf. See, that's why we need to come and adore him. That's why we need to come and praise him. We can't live good enough to stand before God. We can only do it in the person of Jesus Christ. In just a moment, we're going to stop, and we're going to take a moment, and we're going to take a time to reflect. And my ask is the Holy Spirit spoken to you because he teaches us so very clearly within this passage on the basic principles that every one of us are going to be judged one day. Every one of us. We're all going to be judged, now not by someone else's deeds. We're going to be judged according to our deeds, by our misgivings. But yet God's impartial, so it doesn't matter how bad you think you are, how good you may think you are, we're all going to be standing on level ground before the cross. And we're going to be judged according to our obedience to the law. And folks, all of us has failed. But the good news is Jesus Christ. I'm asking today, are you in need of a Savior? If you stand before God today, and he asks you the question, why should I let you into my heaven? What are you going to say? Are you going to compare yourself by other people by saying, God, I'm better than all those other people, or God, I've tried to do good. I've tried to live my life good. He says, you're a sinner. You've fallen short. See, the only way that we can stand before a righteous God on that day of judgment is standing there and admitting that, God, I know that I'm a wicked sinner. God, I know that I've fallen short of your glory. And my only hope is through what Jesus Christ did for me. I believe that he, 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 he was born righteously, he lived righteously, and he died for not his sins, but he died for my sins. And he died, he was buried, he arose again, he defeated death. And God, 
I'm not placing my trust on what I've done. I'm placing my trust on what Jesus Christ has done. But folks, until you get at that point, you have to recognize I'm a person in need of a Savior. Have you come to that point yet? In just a moment, I want to pray a, uh, just a brief prayer. Our team's going to come up, and, and they're going to lead us in this time. And, and we call this an invitation. Why? Because we invite you. How, if God has moved upon your heart, and he's revealed today that you're in need of a Savior, you need to talk to someone. You need to talk to someone. You need to talk to someone and, and, and let someone sit down and talk to you. You need to call upon God and say, God save me. I'm in need of a Savior. But also, if you're here today and maybe over the years your, your heart's kind of got cold to God's goodness and you hadn't worshipped Him like you need, you may just want to come and just kneel and say, God, I adore you today. I worship you today. Thank you for saving me from my sins. I invite you to come. Maybe you want to come, come and be a part of a Bible-believing church. You're not a part of a Bible-believing church. You're saved. You're not a part of a church. You need to be. Because this is, you, you need to be a part of family. You need a place where you can be held accountable. I invite you to come today. Is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? Let's pray. Father God, I love you, and I thank you for your word. And I just pray right now that you do the work that you need to do, God. I pray that you knock on people's hearts right now, Lord. And God, and, and, and let them hear you say, come to me. So Father, bless this time and use it for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Is the Holy Spirit speaking to you now? I invite you to come. Our team's going to lead us. Again, the altar's open, my friend. We'll have people right here to, to talk with you if you'd like to talk with you. But I invite you to come. Just, just thank God for the gospel, the goodness of Jesus Christ as we stand, as we sing. The altar